Today's program is brought to you by the Dairy Farm Families of Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Did you know that today Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American, international style, and original cheese that win more awards than any other state or country? To learn more, visit eatwisconsincheese.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hello and welcome to Cutting the Curd, broadcasting live on the Heritage Radio Network in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This is Greg Blaze, and today we have past guest and friend of the show, Aaron Foster of Foster Sundry here in the studio. Thanks for coming on, Aaron. Thanks for having me, Greg. Yeah, man. We're going to catch up with you a little bit, and then we're going to talk about some issues. Issues. Yes, issues. We all have them. <laughs> Some more than others. <laughs> so, Foster Sundry, um, how's business doing? You, you, the last time you came on the show, you were in, in your infancy, and now you're like, I was just in there this morning, and uh, you're booming, man. You're looking good. Yeah, we were a little baby uh, shop the last time. I think it was almost a year ago, maybe a little bit more. Um, we were with a couple of other shop owners, and it was, uh, it was a funny time, because I think we were coming up on the holidays, and, uh, oh, I didn't know what to expect. It was... Uh, I was talking to everybody, picking their brain, like, what should, I, what, what is it like for you? Is this normal? What's happening? Um, you know, the first year they say it's the hardest, and 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 it certainly put me through the ringer. I mean, yeah, you got all your costs to cover. You got to, you know, you also were a little bit ahead of your time in that neighborhood in terms of that sort of store. So. Yeah, I think. I mean, we were early. I, you, you could say we're still early, um, but you know, better early than late, I suppose. Yeah, man, absolutely. Um, but we're uh, we're definitely, I think. Certainly in the last, I think we're in, we opened December 2015, so what is it now, May 2017? So I think so. Yeah, I can barely keep track. Um, I think we're just hitting our stride, I would say, now. And it's uh, and, it, and it feels different. Like, it, as maybe a month or two ago, I just felt like we turned a corner. All the usual stuff is still difficult. Staffing is difficult. Um, labor is difficult. Uh, paying your bills, obviously, is difficult. But... Um, I feel like what we're putting out is really good and consistently good, and people like are no longer surprised that we're there. They come in, we see our regulars, we have people getting married, we have people having kids, which is really cool. Yeah, you're part of the neighborhood, which is amazing. Um, you know, it seems like you feel like you've geared up, like you've gone to, you know, you 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 started out like in a certain yeah. way, and now you've uh, you're, we're like in low third right yeah, now. Yeah, I, I think yeah. that would be great. Like we just downshifted in the third, so like we're. You know, we're or upshift into the third. We're we're just we're we're running really well right now. Um, and it's uh, but every day it's it's hard. I mean, as a retailer, you know, it's it's uh, you're beholden to things outside of your control. Oh yeah, I mean, every day. I mean, I you have to think on the fly, especially in a in a. I mean, I work in a larger operation, but in a small operation, you know, you have to adapt quickly. You know, when you see things going a certain way yeah absolutely i mean I, it's funny you're when you're in between i feel like we're at the size 
you know, we do a bunch of different things, right? We're not just a cheese shop. I think it's important to say, right? We're a we're a whole animal butcher. We are a cafe that uh, serves parlor coffee, and um, which we're super psyched on. We are a specialty grocer, and um, you know, we do all these different things. And of course, we're a cheese shop. So um, already, we're a little bit different, and I think we had we were a little bit ambitious in terms of what we wanted to do from the get go. So that meant like a more significant investment in getting open, um, a much more sort of ambitious, um, staffing structure, right? Cause we need full-time highly trained people in each department. My butchers aren't going to pull espresso. My, my no. baristas aren't going to cut cheese, um, or at least not right away. Um, so, but I think, you know, we're, we're at the point where we're rising above the noise. Like I always, I like to think of this, the whole, like retailing is like, you're like a sound editor at a mixing board sure. and you've got all these inputs, right? Like your output is, is, is profitability, but your input is all of these other things. And you're just kind of like dialing the levers and twisting the knobs to, you know, to try and make it, make all these inputs become a profitable output. And, uh, you have to have enough inputs. You have to have enough volume to, for you to hear anything on the other side. Absolutely. One of the hidden skills or the most valuable skill of a retailer, especially a food retailer, uh, comes down sometimes to just identifying the right people for each job and playing to their strengths. And sometimes when you start out, you have to adapt. You, you hire a person, especially when you're at the very beginning of something, you hire a person, you know, you have to, they become, they're totally different. They're totally and, different, and, or maybe the shop changes, too. I well, mean, that's true it's, as well. It's really interesting you say that. Uh, yesterday was the uh, the last day of probably of the first employee we hired after we opened. I think we hired him on day four that we were technically open. Sure. Um, and I'm saying technically in air quotes because we were, you know, barely open. I think instead of signs in the cheese case, I had, like, blue painter's tape with the name of the cheese <laughs> on it. <laughs> there's a, I don't know if you know Tia Keenan. Of course you do. Yes. So she, uh... Uh, there's a picture of her that she came by, like she was like our second customer, her and David, David G of and course. they both swung by, which was really thoughtful of them. And, and I just like seeing the photo on their Instagram, I went back and it's like, just everything looks so thrown together. We were really barely, barely there. But so he just left, uh, this employee on, on Sunday and, uh, it just, it, uh, it feels a little bit like a changing of the guard. Now he is, so we have one person one original opener left. One original opener left, and uh, everyone else is new uh, and new to varying degrees. Um, which, like, I, I don't know. Does it sound bad? With like, to no. your you know, you, no, no, you've, no. you've opened plenty of shops. So. The, the people will. There will be a graduating class. Opening a business, uh, especially a food business, takes a toll. Uh, the the openers are like the first wave, and uh, a lot of them don't make it past the beach right. you know what yeah, i mean it's true. and it's uh and it's it's tough it's but like true. saving private ryan out there oh, yeah i mean not you know not to belittle that but it's just a it is it's a battle to get open it's a battle to stay open um especially in the very beginning and the the big changes like that's really what i wanted to ask you what's the what's the biggest single change or adaptation that you had to make you definitely you had a, a you probably had a a, pr- a really well set vision of what you wanted your shop to look like and how you wanted it to operate, and then you open the doors 
and it maybe became completely different from that. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's a really good question, and also I think a good question like you know when you're when you're looking back and self analyzing like important to, important to think about what you want to be versus what you are and whether you're happy with what you are, whether it was your intent to be what you are. Absolutely. And how do you make those two come together to form your reality? Yeah. And, and something that uh, a reality that's like, that is profitable for your business. Completely. Um, I would say, I mean, so I, I wanted to open a cheese shop. I, you know, I've been working in cheese since 2002 so this is my 15th year in cheese and specialty food. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Weird. Um, yeah, weird. Yeah. It's, it's like almost half my life, right? Just shy. Been there, brother. And uh, it's strange to be in this sort of older older guard of, of cheesemonger. But I wanted to... So, I, you know, I've worked for small. I've worked for large. And I wanted to kind of put my money where my mouth was and say it's my turn to open something. So I wanted to open a cheese shop. Uh, what's... I am, I'm probably, I think the biggest surprise is that, uh, I had to let go of it. I had to let go of that, that I'm just a cheese shop. Uh, my shop is significantly more than a cheese shop. Cheese is an important part and I would never let it go because it's, it's what drove me to open it in the first place. And I think it's an integral part, but, um, you know, we are just as much, if not more a butcher shop or just, you got amazing beef and beef and pork in there. eh? Yeah. I mean, we worked so hard for that. It's, uh. Well, what's interesting in that, you know, and I'll, I'll, I will move on to, a, to another sort of a, a, a different kind of question. Um, when you work for a, a pre-existing business, you came up for bus- through businesses that had an established clientele, Murray's Cheese Shop, you know, like these, these cheese counters are, are, are brusque and brisk. Yes. There's a lot of product that get moves through. So that becomes your reality. When you open up the cheese shop and you <laughs> see the inventory and you see it shrinking and you seeing all that coming and going, you're like, oh man, I better have some other stuff to do. You know? Well, like, it was scary. I mean, I certainly opened up with way more cheese yeah, than you- I have. So much more cheese than I possibly needed. Uh, that was one mis- you know, huge mistake I made. Was but like, it's really hard to know. You have no pars. You have no order guides. You have no history. And no customers. And you have no fucking customers. Yeah, that's the biggest <laughs> one, right? Like, you know, I, and, I, and I tried to handicap myself. I was like, all right, I'm going to have negative. You know, if I think I'm going to have 15, you know, 1,500 transactions per week, 1,500 customers sure. per week. Well, and that's that's like when I'm up and running. Okay, so maybe when I open, I'm going to have half that. Right. And then every three months, I'm going to increase by half again, and I'll get to, you know, I'll get to what my... But you have no idea, and you don't know that well, those, and who those customers are. Well, you, in terms of what you what you have in your shop, you know, you, you thought you bought a lot of cheese. You bought maybe a little bit more than you should. A lot more. But what departments or what areas of your business surprised you by supporting that and getting the money in the cash registers while you were teaching the clientele to buy cheese from you? Well, probably the thing that I, it was, it was the thing that I added at the very last minute, which is coffee. Sure. Um, and it's interesting, right? Because like you think of New York, I mean, and, and really any like, Coffee is a drug of choice for New York. It is. It is. But even any modern city, right? Like Portland, sure. San Francisco, L.A. Coffee culture is huge. It's ever and there's so. I mean, and and the uh, saturation in New York, especially in Brooklyn, is so high that it's like, why? Who? Why do we need another fucking coffee shop? Um, but the location that we chose, aside from being, uh, I would say, a colorful corner, um, yeah. you know, was was kind of isolated by at least say ten blocks from any other serious third wave coffee shop. And more importantly, my sister, 
um, is sort of me for coffee, but times 10, like she's, she's deeply experienced and incredibly knowledgeable and, and talented and known in her field. She got you the good stuff. She did. She, she helped, she told me what, you know, what to do and not what to do. And we partnered with parlor in Brooklyn and, um, it just turned out to be really like surprising people. So the, the, what, what ended up being initially my goal was, was really ripping off, uh, Marlowe and sons essentially. And nice. saying, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I owe Andrew Tarlow a great debt, uh, including stealing some of his butchers when we opened borrowing. Um, Hey man, when you're at the beginning, like they were, I mean, it, it, people are going to, they're going to, they're going to model go. you, they're going to model their businesses after you. I mean, that's a, that's I reached out to him and he said, and I was like, I'm not poaching. Like, you know, there's, he's like, people are going to go where they want to go. If they're happier here, then they'll stay here. And, and that was so, but I, you know, my goal was basically to make a place where you could go in the morning, get coffee, you go in the afternoon and, and, uh, get ingredients to cook with, or you can go in the evening and, and maybe have dinner there. And I, I tweaked it, obviously, for the things that I'm more interested in. Um, but generally, that's the idea. So you can come in to our shop at any time of day for a different reason. You might come in. Yeah, I've been in there three times in one day, and I bought all of those <laughs> meals. <laughs> well, and that's, you know, and we attract a different customer for each. Some, or the same in your case, right? But like... Yeah, the helpless he, addict of food. <laughs> uh, we'll take it. We'll, we will take your money. Um, no, I mean, we... we I would say we we didn't quite bungle into that, but um, the model that we had, um, I think, is really built on different customers at different times of day. Yeah. Because we, you know, we're open at eight a.m. No other cheese shop really, barely any cheese shop opens at that hour. Coffee's perfect, you know, because you're going to get a lot of people in there, and they're going to be in there quickly, in and out. But they're going to see your shop. Exactly. They're going to come back and buy a steak. They're going to come back and buy ice cream. They're going to come back and buy cheese. They're going to come back and buy a bunch of stuff. That's why that's why coffee is. is I mean, yeah, it's it's a really good fit for us. Yeah. And, and uh, it you know you're cranking through customers, right? You're not necessarily. It's not contributing to like. I mean, it's good margin, but it's low. You know, it's low revenue. Oh, you got to pull up, put a million cups of coffee out there to get right. the money. Exactly. Uh, good thing is, like I said, it's a drug of choice. Everybody's hooked on it, so nobody and people will pay exorbitant amounts of money for a cup of coffee. They complain about cheese prices, yet you know. Well, it's really funny you say that, right? Like we, I've been grappling with, with this. So we we opened. We were very conscious of that when we opened. I mean, we're conscious of pricing in general, right? Got to like, be. Um, we're in Bushwick. It's a neighborhood that I don't. I don't want to use the G word, but it's. Uh, it's a burgeoning neighborhood. Sure, you call it up and coming burgeoning. It's changing certainly, um, and our clientele, our customers are are very diverse. Right from families to neighborhood folks to hipsters moving in to college kids. Like we have like a Got them very, all. yeah very very diverse uh, customer base, um, but we are really conscious of like not. Like we don't want to be labeled that bougie shop in Bushwick, you know. It, and I and I've been there before uh, when we did that. That I was in Bedford Cheese Shop very very early in its existence, and uh, it was the same thing in in Williamsburg. Yeah, that's but, a good analogy. But the, the 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 thing that you can never do is 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 discount the fact that if your food is good, all kinds of people will come and buy it. I go into restaurants in my neighborhood that I absolutely. You would not go into, but I just see a large line of people there, and I figure that the food is good. Might not be things I know, but I'm going to get it anyway. That's always a good indication. Yeah. So I had a question. What's what's like a couple of the most, the newest, what what kind of amazing cheese have you discovered since you opened? Hmm. That's interesting. Um, 
you know, when I was at Murray's, so I, before opening uh, Foster Sundry, I was at the Brooklyn Kitchen. Before that, I was at Murray's Cheese and being you at Murray's. did the tour. Yeah, I did the tour. I've done more than my fair share. Um, but I was very fortunate there to, you know, to have access to things and people would always send unsolicited samples galore. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Try this. You know, you, you see, if you Google like cheese shop, you find Murray's pretty early. Absolutely. Um, but when I opened here, you know, it was, it was different, different people come in cheese, cheese makers that I knew, uh, a lot more, but that would send us something that they weren't ready to show to larger customers. Yeah. Um, you know, experimental things from Jasper Hill, experimental things from, um, Sugar House Creamery, um, which we were talking about before the show. It's, you know, uh, and I, I had never heard of or been to Sugar House Creamery and they're a relatively new creamery, but. When I was doing my buying trip, my sourcing tour of um, meat farms and che- and cheese dairies and breweries, That's the, the secret best job in the universe, oh, right there. So good is the pre setup and visiting those people. It, it never gets better than that in a certain way. Oh, it's it's great because you know there's there's no like strict business relationship there exactly. yet. So it's really you're feeling each other out. Exactly. You're on their property, you're among the animals, you're among the things they grow and sell. And then you know it's just there it's just hospitality and like, you know, you bring up some beers and things from the city that they can't get yeah. and, you know, they share with you their stuff. I love that. Uh, it's it's so great. And I remember some of the earliest trips I did, you know, going up to Jasper Hill for the first time, um bring stuff up from the city and uh but did, was the was Sugar House probably one of your biggest finds? Or, or I would say absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it was a you know something where it was like I kind of want to like load up the car while I was there. Uh, and we were, I think, one of the first shops in the city, uh, probably aside from yours, really to to carry the cheese. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure you probably had it before I did. The the, the, the simple fact is that's good cheese. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's fantastic. And I you know I don't remember where we. Now I'm trying to think of who steered us to them uh what in that statement right there that's one of the the best things about being a part of i mean i've been a partner in a couple businesses i've I've opened big and small that's the best part about um the small cheese shop or small grocery store is the way that you find things a a person in a bad suit with a large binder of pictures of things doesn't that's not where you're finding your stuff sounds like you're describing italian olive oil uh. (laughs) (laughs) but you know these people will come in and maybe they're a little weird maybe they have like a brown paper bag full of unmarked cheese and that's how you get your stuff and i think that that contact as a smaller shop that's just the best man and you know what else is cool is is our customers are great in that respect like they'll come in and be like i had this shit and it was amazing right can you get it they turn you on oh and it's great and like a lot of the times it's really good and sometimes it's like um you know i can't that's not for us but uh but the enthusiasm is great and the fact that they'll come in and be like this is super cool can you find this for me and then they trust us for that it's great now i got one more one more question we're gonna have to take a break so give me a um what was your single biggest challenge (laughs) <laughs> huh? You like that? Uh, Concise. Well, uh, I mean, was it staffing? Was it customer getting customers in the door? It's either staffing or money. I mean, it's just my yeah. you know that's that's really the we, we I mean my contractor. <laughs> I don't. I mean, right. we uh, getting open the cost overruns in terms of just getting the place built, realizing things that you fucked up. Um, I mean, there were nights where. So we ordered the just just as a for instance, we ordered 
we were like building it out in October, November. Yeah. And they were, we redid the whole storefront. So they're welding the steel for the storefront, but the glass for the windows was not ordered properly. It was back ordered. So there was no way to close the shop. Oh God. So there were nights where we just had to stay there overnight. Wow. And, and eventually we had to hire security guards to sit in there and just, just guard your empty space, guard my empty space. Um, gotta love New York city, man. Uh, it's ridiculous. I and mean, we, you know, we were broken <laughs> into and it's like, of course. Yeah. Um, so th- I, that's I would like, say, welcome to the neighborhood. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> but st- I would say staffing or money. Yeah. And it's no different for me today. All right. We're going to take a short break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about some issues in cheese and cheese retail in general. Stay with us. Today's program is brought to you by the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Wisconsin produces the world's best cheese, period. Why? Lush grasslands, glacial water supply, fourth-generation cheesemakers, combining old-world tradition with the new ideas and highest standards. The very best milk. What do you think of when you think of Wisconsin cheese? For me, I think cheese curds, delicious fresh cheese curds, or deep-fried cheese curds. Cheese curds literally any way, any time, any place. I think about Andy Hatch and Upland's Cheese Company, the operation behind the Pleasant Ridge Reserve cheese that's literally America's most awarded cheese. I think of the deliciously stinky Limburger and its long-storied history. I think about Raleigh's Dumbarton Blue, a perfect blend of English-style cheddar and notes of blue. I think of Emmy Roth's Grand Cru Chirchois, which was named 2016's World Champion at the World Championship Cheese Contest. Wisconsin is like the world champion of cheese, and once you start reading the list of cheeses made in Wisconsin on their website, you can see why. The Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board is a nonprofit organization funded entirely by Wisconsin's dairy farm families. Read more at eatwisconsincheese.com, and as soon as you're done listening to this podcast, eat Wisconsin cheese. It's a no-brainer. Welcome back to Cutting the Curd. That's one of my favorite uh, commercials because you got the silky smooth voice of the producer, uh, Jack Inslee, uh, the engineer on the one of my first uh, friends here at the radio station. Uh, so welcome back. This is Greg Blaze, and we're here with Aaron Foster. We were just chatting about his amazing shop, Foster Sundry, um, which is a place that's taking uh, what little money I have left um, and <laughs> will continue to do so. On this half of the show, I'd love, uh, or this portion of the show, I'd love to talk a little bit more about just the issues in the cheese retail today in general. And I'm just going to ask you the question that we always ask each other, but I'm always interested to hear other people's answer. Has business been affected by issues around raw milk cheeses and are your customers asking more questions? Yes, 100%. Um, so this is interesting. It, you know, it's something that that I came, that I feel like I had my woke moment with, and maybe I shouldn't appropriate that, that word, but like, you know, I remember the moment that food safety became real for me. And this was back in 2005. Um, obviously there's a base level of food safety to everyone that works in, in, in food. Um, and we all take it seriously, but then we, there's, you know, there's a certain amount of until recently, I would say there was a relaxed attitude towards it as if the government were, 
um, sort of arbitrarily imposing these rules. And, like, they were for our benefit in theory, but they were mainly just big government, you know, getting up in our grill. And I, uh, George Faison, who I believe is now, you know, the CEO of DeBraga Meats, was at the time looking at purchasing artisanal cheese, which is a distributor that I worked for back in the day. And he pulled us aside one day and wanted to know a little bit more about our food safety plan. And then he just told us a story about um, working at uh, uh, D'Artagnan and famous. Yeah. And having a a listeria issue. And frankly, he put the fear of God into us uh, in a way where he's like, you know, I wake up, he, you know, there were deaths in that, in that situation. And he was like, "I, I, I wake up thinking about these deaths and I go to sleep thinking about these deaths and like I will forever bear the cross of that, even if I weren't personally responsible. Like I was responsible. I was where the buck stopped. Um, and that, and you know, ever since then, like we, I, I felt like we kind of set the tone for food safety there. And then at Murray's, we we made great strides towards food safety there as well. And and I think since let's say 2010, 2011, um, the industry as a whole has has made great strides towards that. Um, and it's not you know not simply raw milk, right? Um, but just just food safety and cheese in general. And I, and obviously we're at a point, I think a turning point in this year where we really do, you know, we've been working towards things, but I think we've all been galvanized to, to, to work together and to get a lot more serious about that. Um, I, I never, I never knew the difference, uh, between being clean and being safe. To me, they were always the same thing. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's a really good point. Actually. And, uh, so I always try to work in a clean environment, and that's what I can control, right. and, it, and that really helps uh, helps me, you know, to to get through inspections. In terms of raw milk cheese specifically, uh, you back in say like nineteen ninety eight or nineteen ninety nine, it's funny. You some people assume that everyone was ignorant back then, but I find that the people that a lot of the people that I sold cheese to back then were far more educated in a mm. very much in a, in a more realistic way than people that come into the shop today who have say read some things on, on social, social media, media or they are you know they're reading one-sided reports from you know organizations against people No, it's a valid point. And and the, you know where's their info coming from? I mean my wife sent me an article today from Grub Street about a raw milk about raw milk cheeses and she was like you need to write something you need to write to them and tell them and and just provide an alternate viewpoint because this is alarmist and and I've heard you speak about this and Yes. Um, but are, you, are your customers asking you about it? Absolutely, 100%. It? Like, I mean, what's a typical – is it in a fearful thing or in a good way? Because it used to be it used to be that people would come in and be like, you got any raw milk stuff, man? Right, like, yeah. You got the, like, good where's the good tonight, st- Yeah, man? exactly. You know, and, uh, and now it's like, oh, that's – that, well, that, it used to that, be you could open your, your yeah. jacket and, and right. you would have a couple of, you know, quote-unquote illegal raw milk cheeses. Um, and that was a that you know maybe you did that and people were were more apt to buy those things. Yes, and now the, I would say that tide has changed. Well, it, because it, the There's, narrative around it has changed absolutely. in a way that I don't feel is accurate or positive. No, I mean it, it's unfortunate, right? Like you know, in the past, it were you know. We would we would end up talking to customers, pregnant customers. I think is a good microcosm of this, right? Sure. So, you know, the doctors have been making the recommendation to pregnant customers not to eat raw milk cheese for a long time, and the reason is obviously uh, listeria and and its potential to damage the unborn fetus. So that's you know we, that's all well trodden stuff. It's out there. Um, 
However, the the reason that I, I, my mother's a labor and delivery nurse, I you know I have I know a lot of doctors, and if you talk to the OBs, they don't really know why they're giving this recommendation. They know it's for listeria, but they beyond that they don't know anything. They don't know about moisture content and cheeses. They don't know about cheese safety. No, it, it's the same thing. I was in a, a, a hospital. This, I was in the hospital this morning. People ask, "What are your allergies?" I said penicillin, and they're like, "What happens to you?" I'm like, "I have no idea. I've just been saying it for 38 years." <laughs> You know, right. And that's the way. It, that's yeah, the that's way the it same. Is. That's the same as the prescription for no, you know, no raw milk cheese. It's like a pregnant woman is not going to get sick eating Parmesan. Um, no, and, but and, that's a more complicated question. And so I think when we're coming back to raw milk cheese, the you know the what's what's out there right now is a very sort of rudimentary one side. It's very easy to say that. X will hurt you, right? Like sure, you and that's what we do in the media all over yeah. today. Gluten, it's all sensationalized. Absolutely, even things like this are to me like I did not. I, I went to school to, I guess, to be a journalist. That's what, what my hmm. training was, and and sensation like. I liked this business, and I do like this business because of its low-key attitude towards those things and the things that it supports. But getting the customers all riled up about things that those people don't fully understand, I feel is completely irresponsible, and it's out there, and I see it in my customers. I think – I mean, so it's interesting. I wonder – and I wonder whether – so do you feel like your customers are – uh, I just have a lot of customers. Sure, you know. So I see. So you're gonna. It's gonna rise above the level of background that's noise. That's what I mean. Now, are, are the questions? Are they? Are the, would you say they're fear based or they are? Um, like, it sounds like you have less customers coming in, being like, "Give me the good shit." No, that's not true either. It, it, there are smart people out there that 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 know to, that have been eating this product for a long time, and they're not going to just suddenly decide that the things that's been sustaining them and their kids for a long time is suddenly dangerous sure. because the reality of that it just doesn't hold up. Right? You know, I just sort of, I just sense a. An undertone, a different undertone. Yeah. It used to be like, I want to be a part of what you got going on. I want the good stuff. And now it's more like, are you legit? It, do you, is it safe? Do you do, yeah, right. Is do it you safe dot your for me to buy this, yeah. buy this from you? Um, but it, that's just, um, but if you're, you feel it too in your store, I'm, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Even even in our shop, we absolutely feel it. And it, and it's something that we, you know, we do try to, you know, there was the recent recall and, and we, we, I would say, put more information into our notices and signs than we had to. Um, and we asked customers to engage with us. Absolutely. Best way to go about it. Um, it's like, this is a lot of text. If you're confused, just ask the cheesemonger. And then we kind of put it all out there. Um, I, you know, I think making sure your staff is well-trained and, and not simply well-trained, right? Cause it's not just knowledge of the subject, but knowing how to speak to your customers, how to handle, your, how to handle the people. Exactly. Um, so, and, we, we touched on social media. I wanted to ask you another question about that. What's the relationship between the quality of cheese available in the U.S., the education of cheesemongers and the general public, and avenues of mass communication like mm. social media? Um, I mean, you certainly see cheese, like a new cheese uh, sort of filter through and rush through social media very quickly, whereas before... Um, word of mouth. Yeah, word of mouth, finding out about a cheese. I mean, you, you know, same with I, when I came up, um, we had Steve Jenkins' book, and that was it. Um, we had the cheese primer, or, or I suppose you could go back and find, you know, Patrick Rance's books. and Good uh, books. Yeah, good books. According to some. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, even, I mean, even when I started reading the cheese primer, it, I would say it was somewhat dated, and that was in 2002. Um, 
and it has uh, you know I, I always thought Steve should update it but uh, now you can Google and find and see Matt Spiegler's notes on all these cheeses that yeah. are much more detailed and accurate than anything you would find in in, in a book published even five years ago um, so things are moving much more quickly. Um, there's also a lot more social media savvy people like Lilith Spencer, um, like Matt, um, and a bunch of others on Instagram, like, like Nick Bain, um, that, you know, that I think are doing a good job at, at promulgating like accurate, interesting, trendy information about our industry. And that's Um, a tough, that's, that's tough to manage all at once. It is. And I, but I also, you know, I think, and, and those are people that are, responsibly, you know, respons- using the avenues. Yes. And then, you know, you run into the other end where it's a journalist or a quote unquote journalist, um, you know, just pulling an angle that's clickbait. And, and we've learned from all of these stupid fucking articles about, uh, cheese is, crack or, oh, um, man. you know, cheese will make you fat or cheese won't make you fat or fat is the, like that the clickbait, you know, clickbait surrounding cheese is very popular you know, grilled cheese that's surrounded by grilled cheeses. Sure. Um, all <laughs> this shit. So, uh, you know, I think if we can work to promote, if we can, if we make an effort to promote the work of people that are doing right by, by cheese and cheese makers that are writing, you know, that are writing and, and promoting honest yeah. opinions. Uh, then it's good for us. Then it's good for I'm us. I'm a firm believer is less is more. I agree. If you, if you I, don't post all the time. It, then the things that you do post resonate more. Yeah. When you're saturated, it's a like carpet bombing. When you're saturated, it's just, it all kind of becomes the same pile of rubble after a while. I, I also think, I mean, transparency and authenticity is, is really that's important. It. That's what you need. Yeah. Yes, we would hope. You would, I mean, it's, you know, that's, we have relationships, as do you, with with cheesemongers, with butchers, with, or I'm sorry, with, uh, uh, you know, meat uh, growers, um, meat growers, meat growers. <laughs> struggled for the word there. Farmers, I think they're called. Yes, those um, guys and gals. You know, we we work really hard to to have relationship with them, to know what we're getting, to know how to sell it, to taste yeah. each wheel. Um, you know, and those relationships, at least with me and and with many of my staff, go back a decade or more. Um, and and thus we have a. A responsibility, yeah, a and responsibility. we honor them, and yeah. and you know we, that feels important. good to hold up your end of the bargain there in a real way. That's the that's the stuff that like that's the most gratifying part of the oh, shop. Yeah, that's it. We all we just work for the producers, man. That that's and the customers. It's really great yeah. to put cheese in people's mouths. Yeah, um, just stuff it in there, oh, cram it in, <laughs> ram it down. It's an interesting uh, one. One more uh, little question for you here, Mister Mister Sundry, as I'm going to call you. <laughs> I get that a lot at this topic. Are you Mister Sundry all the time? Challenges of working cheese while dealing with chronic pain, illness, or depression. Uh, so many creative people working on the retail side of cheese. You know, I think that they that they face a lot of issues. You know, and we 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 see that a lot in our industry. You know, yeah. what, what's the what's the challenge there? Like. Well, I would say it's the challenge that a lot of folks in food face more generally. Um, you know, some of us that work in food uh, hurt ourselves by, you know, we, we work in food because we're hedonists to a certain extent. Um, masochists? And, and, you know, hedonists and masochists and sometimes sadists as well. Uh, I've worked for a few of those. But um, we, and, and thus we probably don't treat ourselves you know, from a doctor standpoint, uh, the well, best, yeah, well, and then others are just, you know, blessed or cursed with, with better good genes. Um, and uh, you know, it's, I'm sure it's a, it's a spectrum across the board of some of, of each of those. Um, 
but it you know it, it can be difficult i mean i recently went through i had a you know when i first opened, right before i opened the shop uh in fact probably what put me over the edge was a meal just just maybe 50 feet from here at blanca um <laughs> it was a uh, took you down took me down was a, i had diverticulitis which i'd never had before and was probably brought on by the stress of opening a shop Certainly. um our industry is high stress long hours uh, late nights, heavy drinking, heavy eating, food like you know, fat, sugar, um, you know, sometimes drugs as well, and uh, you know, things that things that make you feel good. Um, totally. And I think it's uh, it, all of these things can. I, I think it's up to us to support each other and to encourage better behavior. And I think not better behavior. I don't want to, that that moralizes things where I don't think that's appropriate. Actually, I take that back entirely. It's not what I wanted to use. It, it, uh, to look after one another and make but sure that cheese to me and the people that do it at cheese retailers and stuff we're the ultimate island of mis- misfit toys yeah that is true and you see poets you see writers you see journalists get a huge stew yeah and I think that it's always important for us to to take care of one another because that some of us come to this stuff that's so beautiful and an avenue that was painful to us and so I, I agree we gotta back each other up that's just where it is absolutely you know? I think of uh you know, I connected. I remember connecting with Vince, the first Vince Rastinelli over at Grafton Cheese, and I was. We connected on translating Greek together. Yeah, uh, and then like, there's all the secret, secret uh, kids out there that have Crohn's and and other stomach yeah. problems like me, and it's like, you know, we're we're all out there, and I think, uh, but we and we, oh, you know, you could argue that we do what we do in spite of the ailments that we have because we're that fucking passionate about it. I would agree. And I think that that's a good place for us to stop. Uh, Aaron, thanks so much for coming on with me today. Yeah, and, thank uh, you very much. Thank you for listening to us here on Cutting the Curd. Stay tuned next week for more Cutting the Curd. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.